Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. When a human body dies, the first thing that happens is it becomes cold. And then secondly, it doesn't look like it used to look. My parents sure didn't look like mom and dad in the coffin. And then thirdly, it starts to stink. When a church dies, number one, it becomes a cold church. Number two, it doesn't look like it used to. It's lost its life. And number three, that church will start to stink. Well, Jesus is going to talk to us today about the ancient church of Sardis, a church that Jesus said has become dead. So would you take out a Bible, turn to the book of Revelation written about 95 AD to the ancient churches of Asia Minor, and let's learn about what happens when a church becomes dead. Revelation chapter 3, and let's start with prayer. Father, it's just sad that so many American churches have become dead and they're indistinguishable from our culture. Lord, we would pray that somehow you would raise these churches from the dead. And Lord, we would pray that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going through the seven churches of Revelation in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Let me show you this. Here's the United States. This is where we live. But over here on the other side of the world was an area that used to be called Asia Minor. Today we call it Turkey. And these seven churches in Revelation were ancient churches in about 95 AD. Jesus gave John a letter to each church. The church of Sardis now is where we're going to uh, study. So <clears throat> look at Revelation chapter 3 starting at verse 1. Jesus says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Let's stop there. Let me tell you about the ancient city of Sardis. In 600 BC, it was one of the wealthiest cities on earth, but by 95 AD when this was written, it had lost a lot of its power and prosperity, but it was still a rich city. It was the meeting place of several Roman roads, so commerce was important there. They made their wealth from wool, textiles, dye, and jewelry. Sardis, the city, was known for its decadent lifestyle. It was also big on the mystery cults. The goddess Sibeli, the mother goddess, was worshipped there. And her worship of Sibeli included the grossest form of immorality. They would hold orgies to worship the mother goddess. Emperor worship, worshipping Caesar, was big in Sardis. And of the seven different churches in Revelation, this is the only church Jesus does not commend for something. And here's what William Barclay, a New Testament scholar, said. The church at Sardis was not troubled by persecution. The truth was that the church in Sardis had ceased to matter. It was so lifeless, it was not worth attacking. It was not worth expending powder and shot on. A truly vital church will always be under attack. Well, this church 
lasted all the way to 1300 A.D. So the church in Sardis had a long life. Let's look at it now. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him, Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God. Let's stop there. Well, what, is the, what are the seven spirits of God? Most commentators I read thought it was a reference to the Holy Spirit who works in seven, diff seven different ministries. Other scholars thought it was a reference to seven archangels. The problem is the book of Revelation is perhaps the hardest book of the Bible to interpret because it's filled with all this imagery and some of what exactly it means can be difficult. So to him, Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, we know what the seven stars are. We were told back in Revelation chapter 1 that the seven stars are the seven angels of these seven churches that are being addressed. Verse 1 again, Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation, or the name, literally, of being alive, but you are dead. The word Greek for name is namas. Here's the first lesson for today. Beware of being a nominal, a namas Christian. In other words, beware of being a Christian in name only. <clears throat> Let's talk about Sweden. Sweden has always been a Christian nation, a Lutheran nation. Today, it's a Christian nation in name only. <clears throat> Years ago, uh, I was touring Stockholm, Sweden, just seeing all the sights. I tried to get a hotel room that night, and I'm a cheap guy. I, I'll stay in a youth hostel if I have to. The youth hostel was full. All the cheap hotels were full, and I did something that killed me. I paid $135 for a hotel room for one night, and it's the only thing I could find. I said to the guy behind the counter, why are all the hotels full? And he said, well, it's a religious holiday. We Swedes aren't very religious, but we like to keep the old holidays. I said, well, what's the religious holiday? He said, I don't know. Well, it was Pentecost, the day God gave the church the Holy Spirit. He didn't know what it was, but he liked the vacation. And that's Sweden. Sweden is Christian in name only. I mean, everybody in Sweden is baptized, and nobody goes to church. They don't even get married much anymore. Lots of Swedes live together, have children together, and never get married. Um, if... Uh, 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 I almost don't blame the people of Sweden for not going to church. The Bishop of Stockholm, of the Lutheran Church, is a partnered lesbian. And get this, she recommended that the church in Stockholm Harbor remove all of its crosses, let Muslims worship Allah in the church, but take the crosses down so the Muslims feel comfortable. That's called being a bishop in name only. So my question for you is this. Are you a nominal Christian, a Christian in name only? Maybe you were baptized. Maybe you were raised a little bit in the church. Maybe you make it to church on Christmas and Easter, but you never let Jesus change your life. You never give money to missions. You rarely pray. Beware of being a nominal Christian. Let me show you how much God hates um, uh, dead Christianity. This is from Isaiah chapter 1. God says, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. Excuse me. <coughs> I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons, your feasts, my soul hates. 
wash yourselves, make yourself clean, remove the evil of, of, of your deeds from my eyes. Also Amos says the th same thing. Amos 5, I hate, I despise your feasts, religious feasts. Take away the noise of your songs. In other words, to say you're a Christian and even go to church, but you're living in, in things that are not of the Lord, that's an abomination for the Lord. Now, if you have become a nominal Christian or your church has become a dead nominal church, there's good news, there's hope. Jesus is now going to give four cures for a dead church. So listen carefully. Your church, you might need this. R Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Wake up. Cure number one for a dead church is wake up. The great book, Pilgrim's Progress, written in the 1600s by John Bunyan, hopeful and Christian are walking up the hill to the celestial city of heaven. They're getting very tired, but they know if they lay down to sleep next to the road, they'll be destroyed. So they're walking, almost sleeping, and what will keep us awake? And they said, Christian conversation. And so <coughs> they start talking deeply about things of the Lord. That keeps them awake until they get to heaven. You know what will wake you up? Deep Christian fellowship. I had some people at my house the other night, excuse me again, and we're sitting around my living room, and I said to them, let's go around the circle, and everybody share one thing the Lord has taught you lately. And we went around the circle, had such a wonderful, deep time of Christian fellowship. I mean, if I'm driving in the car and I'm getting sleepy, I can almost go off the road. If somebody's next to me talking to me, it keeps me up. You know, the, the way you're going to wake up is having deep Christian fellowship, which means you go to church every Sunday, but also you're in a Bible study, you've got a Christian accountability partner. Christian conversation will keep you up. Let's look at cure number two for a dead church. Revelation 3, verse 2, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The second cure for a dead church, strengthen what remains. Even a bad church has some good things going for it. I mean, I, the very first church that I served was a church down in Florida. It wasn't a very good church. It was more like a country club. We didn't pray much. And nevertheless, there were some people there that loved the Lord. No matter how bad your church has gotten, Jesus says, well, strengthen what does remain. That's one way to get the church back on its feet. <clears throat> I can tell you that I, um, I talked to a man and he said, Pastor Brock, how do you know when it's time to leave your erring church or to stay and fight? And I said, that's a hard call. You got to pray that through because sometimes Jesus wants you to leave. Sometimes he's calling you to stay and strengthen what remains. Third cure for a dead church. Number one, you wake up. Number two, you strengthen what remains. Third cure in verse 3 of Revelation 3. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. Third cure is to remember the apostles' teaching. Jesus is saying here, Sardis, do you remember when the apostles came and preached in your city and how you formed a church and you got saved? Well, get back to the apostles' teaching. 
Remember the apostles' teaching. In our day and age, that would be to say, remember the Bible, because the Bible is the apostles' teaching. If your church is going dead, you need to remember and get back to the apostles' teaching. Uh, I will tell you this. Um, years ago, when I was still in the ELCA Lutheran Church, a very liberal church body, the bishop had a meeting in his office, a very liberal bishop. And the bishop was saying that Christianity is fluid. It changes from age to age. And we need to follow the new things the Holy Spirit is telling us to do in our age. And I, well, Bishop, shouldn't we earnestly contend for the faith as once for all delivered by the apostles? I was quoting Jude in that. I don't know that the bishop knew that, but he just didn't seem to think that was necessary. <laughs> Listen, the reason the churches are in debt or Amer in America are becoming dead, they're not listening to the apostles' teaching. While I was working on this sermon, the phone rang. Pastor Brock, I see your TV show. I go to a, a Lutheran church in St. Paul, Minnesota. Two weeks ago, our male pastor got in the pulpit and called God a he-she. This week, our woman pastor got in the pulpit and referred to God as our mother-father. What should I do, Pastor Brock? I said, well, pray about it, but I, you might want to have a meeting with those pastors and say, didn't Jesus teach us to pray our Father who art in heaven? He never taught us to pray to our mother in heaven. Doesn't he know more than we do? Are we in the position to correct Jesus Christ? And you know what she told me? This woman said, the woman pastor in her sermon said, well, I don't know if this congregation um, is ready to pray to God as mother. And I, I, I thought, oh, brother, like this woman pastor is enlightened. And when the rest of the church catches up to her level of enlightenment, then they'll pray to God the Mother. No, wait a minute. You do not get more enlightened than Jesus Christ. We are in no position to say we're more enlightened than he does. He is. <sighs> we need to get back to the apostles' teaching. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. Here's the next cure for a dead church. Keep it and repent. The word repent Third cure for a, a, a dead church is repent. The word repent literally means to change your mind or to turn around. That's what the meaning is. Basically, whatever it is you personally are doing or your church is doing that is causing you to go dead, you need to stop that. You need to repent. You need to turn around. I heard of a pastor, a young pastor, who takes his, I think, first church in the country, Lutheran church. He gets to the church and discovers wife swapping is going on in this congregation. He comes to the professor, my preaching professor, who taught the, told this story. Professor so-and-so, what do I do? <laughs> and the preaching professor said, get in the pulpit and deal with it. So this young preacher gets in the pulpit and says, it has come to my attention, wife swapping is going on in this church. It has to stop. If it doesn't stop, I'm going to start naming names from the pulpit. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of had an impact and things did clean up. But um, uh, repentance will wake up a dead church. Here's a pastor preaching for revival one Sunday morning. And while he preached, one man stood up and said, Well, pastor, I suppose there can't be revival at this church as long as I'm not talking to Brother Johnson over there. We haven't talked for years. He walked over and they got reconciled. A woman stands up. 
Well, Pastor, I don't suppose there can be revival here as long as I say nice things to Mrs. Ferguson's face but insult her behind her back. And she walked over and they got reconciled. And during that Sunday morning, the revival began. What has to happen? From what do you need to repent at your church or in your personal life to get revival to happen? Verse 3. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, that's not a reference to the second coming. Normally, when Jesus talks about coming like a thief in the night, it's a reference to the end. Here it's not. Here it's a reference to some historical event that will happen in their lifetime if they don't repent. So here's the next lesson. Sometimes Jesus comes against his own church. The United Church of Christ the Episcopal Church in America, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, and the Disciples of Christ now all ordain practicing homosexuals. Some of them pay for abortions with offering dollars, and uh, some of them now have transgender pastors. You know what's happened to these denominations? They have shrunk. Their attendance has gone down, their membership has gone down, the giving has gone down, and in some areas, they're closing churches because sometimes if the church doesn't repent, Jesus will come against his own church. It's happening in America. And gratefully, the churches that are growing are the churches that still believe in the Bible. Look at verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Here's the next lesson. You must be worthy to walk with Christ in white. Now, does that cause a problem in your mind? <laughs> if you watch this show very often, I teach regularly, nobody's worthy, we're all sinners, we all deserve hell, and we're only saved by God's grace, not by what we do. Well, so what do we do with this verse that says, you will walk with me in white because you're worthy? Well, let me take a quick little detour and ask this question. How do I get a white robe so that I will be worthy? All right, ready? Four things you got to do. Number one, this is from Revelation 7. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? He said, these are the ones that have come from the great, great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Notice it's, that says the, the robes started out dirty, but they washed them and made them white in Christ's blood. So here's the first way to get a, 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 we are, the, the first way to get a white robe, we are made worthy through the blood, the death of Christ. Second way to get a white robe, this comes from Re Revelation 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar on the souls of those under the altar who had been slain for the word of God. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. So the point here is those who are willing to suffer for Christ get a white robe. If you're not willing to suffer for him, looks to me like you don't get the robe. Third way to get a white robe is from Revelation 19. The bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Here's the next way to get a white robe. Righteous deeds are part of the white robe. Now follow this. Our righteous deeds will never save us, but we are, if you're truly saved by grace, 
the righteous deeds are the result, not the cause, but the result of our salvation. And if you don't have any righteous deeds, you weren't saved by grace alone. I will tell you, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I believe in Lutheran theology because I believe it's very biblical. In 1519, Martin Luther was studying in the tower in Germany, reading Romans, rediscovers that we're saved by grace, not by our good works, changes his life, changes the history of Europe. I believe in Lutheran theology because I think it's biblical. But can I tell you the problem today with the Lutheran church? It's called grace abuse. And because I'm saved by grace alone, I can live like the devil. And so now Lutheran, some Lutheran denominations have practicing homosexual pastors, uh, pay for abortions, etc. Why? Well, we're saved by grace. Jesus is saying, no way here. Uh, righteous deeds are part of the robe. And if you've been saved by God's grace, it does change your life, to a degree anyway, and righteousness results. Last thought on how to get a white robe is from Revelation 3. Jesus said, you are wretched, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me white garments that you may clothe yourself. So here's the point here. To get a white robe, you go to Jesus. You don't go to yourself and how good you are. You don't go to Buddha or Muhammad. You don't go to yoga. The way to get that white robe to be ready for Judgment Day, you got to go to Jesus. So let, let's end the detour. Here, here's the point. You have to have a white robe and be worthy to enter heaven. Well, how can I, a sinner, be worthy? Well, number one, you get your dirty robe washed in the blood of Christ. You believe in the atonement. Number two, you're willing to suffer for him. Number three, you live out your, your faith. You're not going to be perfect, but you live it out. And number four, you go to Jesus for that robe and nowhere else. End of detour. Back at verse 5 of Revelation 3. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And if you look back to chapter 2, in 2.9, excuse me, 2.29, 2.17, 2.11, Jesus says, says the exact same words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the last lesson today is this. Are you really hearing this? It's so easy to hear a sermon and it goes, choo. do you remember what the devil's job was in the parable of the sower? His job, the devil's job is to gobble up the word of God so you can't even hear it. And then Jesus is saying in a number of places in Revelation, he who has ears to hear, are you hearing this? Not just are you literally hearing it, but is it going to change you? You're going to repent? You're going to do any of this? <laughs> Let's review what, what Jesus said to the ancient church at Sardis. Beware of being a Christian in name only. How do I come back to life? Wake up, that's deep Christian fellowship. Get back to the scriptures, repent and turn from sin, because sometimes Jesus comes against his own church. And lastly, we learned you need to have a white robe and be made worthy. How do I get that white robe? By letting Jesus wash me in his blood, his atonement for my sins, by being willing to suffer for him, letting those good deeds come out that are the result, not the cause of salvation by grace alone. And remember that only Jesus is the place you can get a white robe. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen.
Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insight to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. We've only got time for a couple of questions, so I'd like to ask you first of all, what churches today have become dead? I would list again, United Church of I'm not saying there aren't individual congregations within these denominations that are still good, because there are. But as far as their overall direction, the worst church, I believe, is the United Church of Christ, then the Episcopal Church in America, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, and the Disciples of Christ. The good news, Jackie, there's good alternatives. You can stay a Lutheran and go to Missouri Synod Lutheran or go Free Lutheran. You can stay Presbyterian and go PCA Presbyterian. So there's good alternatives. Do you think that the, some of these churches that have become dead will ever come back to life? You know, it's happened twice. Okay. The Missouri Synod Lutherans in the 1970s were going down the same road as the ELCA. They had a, a regime change, and now they're, very, they're still very biblical. Uh, believe it or not, some years ago, the Southern Baptists were getting liberal. They had a house cleaning, and Southern Baptists now are, are still quite biblical. So, it, I, Jackie, it almost never happens, but it can happen. Okay. I guess then... Pastor Brock, do you believe that America is a Christian nation now? I think we were founded as a Christian nation on Christian principles. Can, can we say that America today is a Christian nation? I don't see how you can say that. When we kill, uh, what is it, 4,200 babies a day in America? And uh, so, Jackie, I, I, have, I, I don't think America is a Christian nation anymore. Did, so... Is that the church's fault? Yes. It is? When, well, you know, when you've got, I can understand secular governors and presidents saying abortion is fine, homosexual behavior is fine. When you've got bishops in the church saying that stuff is fine, yes, the church is at fault for what's happened to America. So, Pastor Brock, if a person thinks they're in a church that's erring, how do they know if they should stay or, or go or fight? I, I think there, there used to be a case for staying and fighting more. I think if you're part of these denominations that have officially gone on record against the Word of God, I think it's time to leave. That's my opinion. So We're less than a minute, Pastor yeah. Brock. Do you want to close today and tell sure. people what we're doing? Yeah, everybody. Thanks, Jackie. You know, everybody, we're on nationally now on DirecTV and Dish Network. We're on locally in various places around the country. We just added Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and the Quad Cities in Iowa, because when, when money comes in, we just add more stations. We're a very shoestring operation here. We don't, uh, I, don't, I don't drive a Cadillac, believe me. Your money overwhelmingly goes to buy airtime. So uh, go to pastorstudy.org, two S's, and, and you can watch these TV shows. You can donate there if you like, but pray for us pastorstudy.org. You'll see the address in a minute if you want to support us. But thank you. Uh, we didn't know we'd still be on the air. We've been doing this six years nationally now, and we didn't know we'd be on here this long. So uh, praise God, and thank you for your giving and your prayers, and we'll see you next time on The Pastor Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? 
you may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Thank you.